Yo, family, this is Jonathan Soule. He had a wonderful conversation with a very young but very wise man the other day. You know, we were doing as, as men do. You know, we build. You know, not talking about too much frivolous stuff. And, uh... <laughs> and, um... You know, we, we came to, you know, talking about politics and talking about, you know, family and talking about different things. And then we had, uh, we were talking about, you know, the whole religious piece. And, um, you know, both of us are kind of out of the matrix. You know, if y'all don't know what the matrix is, I can sum it for you. I can sum it up for you in two sentences. Um, one, there was a story in the Bible, New Testament, where a slave who was, you know, a cap, you know, a captive of a Christian uh, family, he escaped and he was running away, I guess, you know, on his way back home or whatever. And he ran into Paul and Paul convinced them according to the Bible, to give up his freedom and go back in bondage to this Christian family and, you know, look for his reward by and by. So when I say out the matrix, that's what I mean out the matrix. I mean, I'm out kind of thing, you know, and, and, and the brother I was talking to, he's out too. So anyway, so we're talking then I said, wow, you know, what would the black community look like, you know, without the religion, without all these churches? You know, we got churches. There are some neighborhoods you can go to. There's literally two churches less than a thousand feet from each other. And they're not part of the same organization. Literally, like a th less than a thousand feet. I'm not even exaggerating. And, you know, anybody with a half a grain of sense will say, well, damn, uh, how do they get mortgages for all these churches? It's a poor neighborhood. Not all the time, but a lot of times it's a poor neighborhood. Uh, I don't see any businesses, but I see churches. But, you know, both of them, you know, need like, you know, mortgages and stuff from the bank. So it's funny, you know, so we, you know, we kind of went along those lines and I said, well, you know, I posed the question, well, what would the black community, the African community in America, what would it look like without all these churches? What would replace it? There would be a void. What would replace? And he didn't miss a beat. He said businesses. I was like, God damn. <laughs> you know, his brother is a lot wiser than me. You know what I mean? A lot wiser than me. I mean, I, I definitely believe it, but you know, I guess I was just like uh, I was just shocked at how quickly he just bam and yeah you know I think that the the vestiges of slavery in the African African American community I think we got about two generations left you know all that should have be gone you know what I mean my generation my kids generation and I think after them I think it'll be I think we'll be straight you know we'll leave the colonizers religion alone 
will start, you know, working together in a more significant way. And I'm not saying that it takes that long. I mean, we're doing it now, you know, kind of a thing, um, you know, but, you know, there's there's trauma that has to be processed. There is, um, you know, a deprogramming that has to happen, you know, in order for us to, you know, recover, you know, as a not only just as a people, but like as an organism, you know what I mean? You know, as a, as a as a branch on the human tree, you know, we we gotta we gotta shed some some dead leaves and stuff, and it's not easy. You know, he never heard the story, uh, you know, and I don't think I'll tell you guys, but you know, it, it it took a minute for me to deprogram myself from the Matrix. It took about I would say, you know, two years, like one year solid of study. And, 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 you know, a year of kind of waffling, going in and out, in and out kind of a thing. And, uh, you know, I have a saying on my program, you know, free your fiction and your nonfiction will follow. You know, your fiction is, you know, in my context, I'm talking comics. I'm talking sci-fi, that kind of thing. That's what I focus on. I interview artists and writers and publishers and, you know, uh, consultants who help with the marketing and everything uh, because I think that it's very important for African people to capture their myths again you know I don't think we need a magic Jew in the sky or a magic uh, you know white dude in the sky or if you want to make him a magic black guy in the sky I don't think we need that you know but I do think we need uh, to project ourselves in the future without all these chains and without all of these, all this baggage and all that kind of stuff. You know, I had some wonderful conversations with some artists in the past. And, um, you know, I think I'm carrying along a tradition of Arthur Taylor. If you, if y'all ever get a chance to grab this book, it's become, it became my bite. After I left Christianity, I had a book called ancient future by Wayne Chandler. Please, Wayne Chandler. And um, that was like my Bible during the transition, because when you leave something as significant as, as, a, as a religion that you had and your mom had and grandma had and all the people, it creates a void. Don't get it twisted. You know, I mean, it's not like you just stop drinking one day and it's a void. And uh, like anybody, you know, you know, but I'm going to I'm going to drift. I can tell myself I'm drifting. I'm drifting. I'm drifting. Let's, let's, let's stay on it. So that was one one Bible. And when I say Bible, I mean a book that I go to for inspiration. And then after, you know, I, I began to realize, OK, I can live with questions. You know, um, I don't have to know everything. You know that I can't I don't have to pretend like I know everything that's going to happen in the afterlife. That's, that's, you know, so then I got another book that became my Bible, which is called Notes and Tones by uh, a musician. So Notes and Tones, Musician to Musician interviews by Arthur Taylor. He was a jazz drummer. He worked with all the greats. And uh, for whatever reason, he picked up a tape recorder, pen and paper. And in the 60s, and uh, I think it was the 60s, early 70s, he started traveling the world interviewing, you know, these folks when the jazz thing was like right at its peak and I guess maybe going into the decline. And when I say decline, um, you know, I'm thinking like when the Beatles hit town, <laughs> some people say that 
the Beatles, it was something in the book like the Beatles destroy jazz or something, meaning that, um, you know, jazz, you know, bebop and all its variations was like the pop music of the young folks. You know, rock and roll wasn't really like, you know, popping like that. And then the Beatles came to town and that changed that whole shit up. That changed that whole virus. So everybody dropped, <laughs> they dropped, <laughs> they dropped bebop, you know, with the quickness and got on that Beatles tip. You know, that's, that's, that's what some of the people were thinking in the book. So, um, but the reason why I say this, my Bible is because there was so much wisdom in that book. You know, three things that popped to my head. I always tell my kids this and everything. One is um, there was an interview uh, that uh, Mr. Taylor did with Dizzy Gillespie. And uh, he was talking about Chano Pozo, who was a percussionist from Cuba. And uh, if y'all ever heard Mantega, um, you know, awesome, especially the sweet. I, the, I first heard Mantega the sweet. I never forget it. You know how people say, I remember where I was when such and such happened. I remember where I was when I first heard Manteca, the suite, right? That I believe is Chano Poza arranged it. Now, you know, if I'm correct me if I'm wrong, hit me up on uh, Twitter or uh, SoundCloud or whatever. But be nice, goddammit. But anyway, so um, before I lose my point, because I can feel I lose my point. Uh, one, uh, Chano didn't didn't have a good grasp of English English at that at the period of time you know that the interview happened and uh, you know Dizzy so basically you know uh, Dizzy was relaying the story uh, Chano Pozo was being interviewed by somebody and he asked him you know how do you communicate with Dizzy because uh, you know and then and and Chano the way the the way the book was I gave it to my cousin. And um, so I'm going off of memory. So the way the story went, Chano said, uh, Dizzy no speaker espane, espani, and I speak no English, but we both speak African. And so I just thought that was so fucking awesome. You know what I mean? So that's one thing that came uh, to mind. Um, a third thing that came to mind uh, from that book was um max roach uh was it max roach right i believe it's max roach uh tremendous uh he's a master drummer okay master drummer and uh he talked about living alone and i never forget the quote i don't know why it hit me so bad but he said um the exact quote was living by yourself is a motherfucker you'll find out that you're at least three people. I was like, God damn. <laughs> and that is so true. That is so true. Sometimes I, always, I used to say, I gotta, my, I gotta bring my work self home so I can get more done. You know what I mean? It's like, you know, you, you definitely have different sides. You know, when my kids are small, you know, well, my kids, period, there's a different side of me, a silly side. You know, you know, kind of a thing happening, you know, and then I never forget. I was I was talking on the phone to somebody, uh, a young lady, whatever. And just just, you know, very benign, you know, kind of very not benign. It's not the right word, but very uh, platonic vibration. And uh, but my daughter overheard. She's like, Daddy, why you why your voice changed like that? I said, voice. What are you talking about? 
why you sound different? I was like, oh. so you know, so even when we're not aware, you know, and then like, like I say, my work, my work self, you know what I mean? Which, you know, I got to integrate all of these babies, you know what I mean, kind of thing. But yeah, so that was that was something Max Roach said, and uh, there was other things, you know, that you know they were talking about politics, the Black Panthers, all kinds of stuff. Like I said, uh, you know, even though you know the whole idea of you know the Beatles coming to town, and you know when I say coming to town, I mean the country. All that kind of stuff. Another thing that Dizzy said, which was profound, was he said, you know, I'm not in the music. I'm in the sound. And I was like, God damn. You know what I'm saying? I, was like, I was like, God damn. That's fucking heavy. It just reminds me of that quote from uh from from John Coltrane. He said, music is an instrument. You know, it can affect the minds and the vibrations of whatever, whatever, whatever people, you know, but music is an instrument. It's like, I'm stringing everything together. Please forgive me, but it's like, uh, it's like, have you guys ever read um, uh, Bruce Lee's book, uh, Jeet Kune Do? You know, that little manual thing that he wrote? I think I gave it to my son. Anyway, he said, basically, anything you study long enough can become a way. I think that's what he said. Yeah, you know, anything you study. So, for example, um, I was, uh, I was, I went to school for, uh, for design, right? I went to school for design. And um, we were studying, like, a page layout, and uh, we were studying grids. So, you know, you you know, put tick marks, you know, along the edges of the paper, and then you make make little grids, you know. And uh, that's a way for you to organize the paper. <clears throat> so I'm going to put, you know, the, the image in this quadrant, and I'm going to put, the, you know, the title up here, and then I'm going to leave some room for text, and then there's, head, you know, that kind of thing. Intense study, right? So, uh, you know, during this two or three week period where we're studying all of this stuff and this projects and it's exams. And if y'all ever been to school, you know, every professor gives you homework like that's the only class you got. It's like, God damn it, dude. I just got four hours of homework for the last <laughs> motherfucker. And now you're giving me. So anyway, so, you know, stressing out or whatever, woke up to the alarm clock. Right. Ring. And I woke up and I said to myself, the grid went off. The grid went off. So in my subconscious mind or my brain, the clock was a grid overlaid over the day. You follow me? So I said all that to say is that anything you study can be a way. Now, Dizzy studied music deeply. And then, you know, he talked about, you know, he's after a while he transcended music and he just got into sound kind of a thing. You know, to me, this podcast is a way. Oh, yeah, I see that coming. Oh, <laughs> yeah, you see that one coming, man. I got you. I got you in the trap. Now it's too late. You're in the Matrix. So uh, this podcast is a way. And so you say, well, damn, all you do is talk about comic books. But you're not really listening. Not deeply. Uh, I'm not just talking about comic books. I'm talking to brothers and sisters who are creating a way 
for themselves and for their families in many cases, you know, in a hostile environment. Now I'm talking people all over. When I say hostile, I mean, it's, it's not the easiest thing in the world, you know, for an African person or just a single person without a lot of bread to get a business going. Particularly something that's not related to food, clothing and shelter, right? Or security or something. Right. Okay. We're talking about art. We're talking about something that's, you know, could be akin to, to, to leisure kind of a thing. But it's just as important. You know, it's just as important because in a time where, you know, I don't know what country you guys are listening to me from, but over here in the United States, <laughs> it's not States. I mean, you know, it's it's not it's it's people that was talking shit about leaving the country once Trump got the nomination. But it's a whole bunch of people that quietly just left. They didn't say shit. They just left. And they're popping up all over YouTube talking about baby is beautiful here in the in the quote unquote third world, you know. You know what I mean? Like, you know, when you uh, go out, you know, you know, even though you try to cross your eyes and dot your T's, it's no guarantee you're going to make it back. It really isn't. Especially if you're a man, especially if you're a black man, an African in America. OK, that's that's. That's a that's you know that's a crapshoot you know, and Jesus ain't gonna save you from them bullets. <laughs> oh man, you know. So I'm, I'm so I'm tra- I've transcended when I talk about the podcast. I'm, I feel like I'm I'm kind of transcending the whole internet broadcast thing, and, and what I see now is just. The simple art of conversation with people. That's that's what I aspire to. You know, just, you know, trying to share a little piece of my essence. You know, my ideas, my point of view. And then the guests, you know, bless me and the audience with a little piece of their essence. So that for that moment, when we having that conversation, we all connected. You know, am I talking about art? Absolutely. Am I talking about business, entrepreneurship? Absolutely. I'm not really talking to artists who are, you know, working for DC and Marvel or, or, you know, and I'm not carrying nobody. It's just that my focus is ownership. You know, my focus is ownership. I feel like African-American people are on this circular journey. And the circular journey uh, starts and ends with ownership. You know, when we were, you know, sold and uh, I can't wait for y'all to hear this one interview. I wish I could. I wish I could fucking play this thing. Uh, This one interview where... um, Anyway, you, I, I talked to a brilliant brother from Zimbabwe, and uh, and uh, yeah. Anyway, the, I'm drifting again. So here's the point. The point is, is that um, you know, when we when we left Africa, you know, we were sold, whatever, captured, whatever. 
put on a boat. You know, millions of us didn't make it. Some of us said, fuck this slavery shit and jumped over the water. You know what I mean? And, uh, and jumped to the water, whatever. And, uh, and then we made it here. And then, you know, there was a process of breaking our minds and breaking our spirits and in some cases breaking our bodies, you know, to make us beasts of burden. And then the white folks started fighting amongst each other. <laughs> you know what I mean? And then uh, and then your boy uh, Abe Lincoln was like, OK, well, I'm going to leverage these Negroes. <laughs> you know, what I mean, it's free labor because I don't want it to expand westward because the poor white folks can compete with a slave, not for jobs. You know, that's not a good look. I mean, he came from that area. He knew how hard it was over there. You know, what I mean, and so, you know, he freed African people in territories he did not control. <laughs> Thanks. You know, what I mean? it's like, you know, and then they said, okay, you know, for the ones that are actually told, you know, they said, okay, you're free. Now get the fuck out. No, you can't. No, you can't take that with you. No, you can't ta- take that with you. Just to close on your motherfucking back. Have a nice day. <laughs> no debriefing, right? No, uh, you know, you know, past wages, no compensation, no reparations, nothing. And so we had to build from there, you know, and then, you know, you go back and you go back through the the vagrancy laws and everything. So these uh, folks, these these beings, you know, tried their damnness to put us right back into the shackles. And they've been doing it ever since. You know, if it's not a. You know, all these, you know, drug laws and stuff. It's, uh, you know, um, you know, there was a time if you had a fight in school. Right. You know, teachers would break it up or whatever. You get sent to the principal's office. Your parents are called, you know, you had parent teacher, whatever, you know, and everything like that. Now, you know, if the videos are to be believed. All I can call it. To me, like punk is like the lowest I can say. You know, punk is just like a human slug. You know, just a very reprobate person. (sighs) You know, and I know people are, you know, sometimes they feel like they got to do very bad stuff to make a living. I get it. But I just, you know, I mean, everybody just got to find their... I've seen children like seven years old, and I forget a seven-year-old Spanish boy. I think he was accused of fighting in school, or maybe fighting with the teacher or something. He's seven years old. Probably wasn't even. He didn't look like he was seventy pounds. He was in hand. He was arrested and put in handcuffs by a police officer. You know what I mean? It's like. So they got to be training the cops to see us like non-humans because I just don't see how a, a human, you know, I, I know that, you know, there's a part of white culture that, you know, has to see us as less than human. I get that, you know, because they're a minority on the planet and, you know, they have to behave in a certain way to try to control larger masses of people. I get that part. I understand. You know what I mean? But like on a person to person level, I just don't see how you can do it. You know, I mean, I've had some people that has postured, postured themselves as my enemy. 
But if I saw that kid in trouble, I mean, I would at least help him. You know what I mean? <laughs> I mean, I just, you know, I might not like it, you know what I mean? But it's the kid, you know what I mean? It's a kid. You know, but yeah, so, so, you know, long story short, I'm not sure where I was going with this. I was talking about the, uh, I was talking about the oh I was talking about the three the, the books that was like my Bibles yeah yeah <clears throat> so long story short notes and tones so I told you oh I remember now okay everything is away so to me this podcast thing is becoming a way you know um, you know Ron Coogler did the planet a tremendous service Ron Coogler uh, Joe Cole uh, I believe it's Joe Cole. Um, and, and the whole team, you know, and under, under the auspices of uh, Kevin Feige and Marvel and everything, they really did uh, African people around the planet a service. You know, now, of course, it, it did make the Africans over on the, on the motherland look good. It didn't make us look good, too. <laughs> you know what I mean? Too good. But it, it kind of gave us that, 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 you know, eternal rebel kind of profile kind of thing, which is cool. But. I almost feel like these podcasts are kind of doing the same thing, you know, in their own way, you know, in their own way. Now, my audience is, of course, you know, I'm, you know, any, anybody who's willing to listen, you know, listen, that's cool, you know, but my intent is to build, you know, a consensus among African people across the planet who work in the, you know, this, this fantasy genre to project your highest self into the future. Okay. You know, write down the future that you want to experience, put that on paper, put that on film, put that in your music, you know, put that on your art, you know, put that in your audiobooks. you know, because right now, we at a, a, a the very beautiful moment, you know, but every moment passes. Right now, there's a renaissance of African, African-American, uh, you know, creative, you know, uh, content creation and support it's just not we drawing and, and writing that we get we supporting each other so it's a renaissance of that and that predates marvel's black panther i've been talking about this renaissance for a minute if you go back and look at you know some of my shows and uh and so we have to continue to build on that uh, but what is more important and what you know another uh pillar of this program is about that cooperation thing. So, you know, not only did Ron Coogler, you know, project a wonderful image of African people, but behind the camera, he built a tremendous team of African people working with him. You know, of course, everybody knows about the actors and actresses. You know, people know about the, you know, the industrial designer or the interior designer, whatever, the set designer, and then, the, you know, the other designers and stuff. But, you know, I found out through my conversations with my guests 
um, that uh, some of Black Panther was shot on Tyler Perry's studio lot. Isn't that incredible? You know, I found out, you know, uh, from another, you know, uh, person on the inside. I don't know if they want me to give their name out. So I'll just say I just found out from a person who knows that some of the folk who, uh, you know, some of the stunt people and stuff like that who worked on Luke Cage was working on uh, Black Panther. I mean, you know, all these all this cooperating kind of a thing. You know, there's some uh, there's a brother over in uh, California, uh, you know, beautiful family, you know, very ambitious, very talented uh, brother, very productive by the name of Jason Reeves over at 133art.com. Uh, he uh, he has a press for you. So if you need some floppies done quick, fast and in a hurry, you know, there's all types of conventions coming up from what I can see on Twitter. There's even pop up conventions happening. And um, and uh, if you need some uh, some books for your table, Jason is the one to reach out to, you know. Now, I don't know if it's too soon to announce this, so I'm going to wait. But there's a brother, a beautiful brother on the East Coast that uh, might have some uh, perfect bound uh, graphic novel printing services for you pretty soon. I, I can't say nothing because I didn't get his permission, but, you know, he working on it. And so you're going to have that. So you don't have to send your books out to China to get them printed or none of that kind of shit. You know what I mean? And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm building <clears throat> a, a list of uh, freelancers on my website. I'm just interviewing them right now, you know, but I'll, uh, I'll get a list together on jonathansoul.com, you know, and who knows, maybe I can even get some rates off of these guys, you know, kind of a thing. And, uh, you know, so you have your, your illustrators, you know, both foreign and domestic, <laughs> if you want, if you need to, you know what I mean? If you need to outsource or whatever, and the same thing for writers, you know, and then there's some people who do copy editing for you, all that kind of stuff, you know. So the whole idea is the, you know, for lack of a better metaphor, the whole idea is to build Wakanda behind the mic, behind the camera, behind the book. You follow me? So that's why, you know, when I talk about this podcast thing is a way for me, it's a DAO, D-A-O, a DAO. It's a DAO. You know, sit down. And it's a beautiful thing when you find it. It's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. All right. I guess this is my uh, combination, uh, you know, I don't know, brain dump and uh, microphone check of this uh, Zoom H4 <laughs> Pro that I just got. I want to see how this sounds. So anyway, uh, let me tell you this one more thing. I was at the first, what I consider the first uh, comics renaissance. Uh, I was in Philly at the time. And that's when I saw Brother Man pop off and other comics that were popping. I wasn't aware of Purge at the time, but Purge and, and, and his whole team, you know, that whole collective and his other people, even before, um, you know, uh, Back then, they were Sims, you know what I mean? The Sims brothers, you know, even before then, um, there were people that they learned from. And so, you know, you know, we, we're going to, I think we're going to make some lasting effects. You know, a lot of those books didn't survive, but guess what? The books these guys are making, gals are making now is digital. You know, not only are these books digital, 
you know, some of them are being made into and being made into animation. And not only are some of them being made into animation, but some of them are being made are working in the, uh, being made into movies. So it's definitely going to last. And I feel like, you know, we're going to continue to have, you know, for lack of a better, we're going to continue to have Wakanda behind the microphone, behind the camera, because that's that lasts. You know, that's what you want to control. You know, if we control, if African people, particularly in America, but I, it seemed like people in America and people in Britain, <laughs> you know what I mean? The brother sisters up in up in Canada, I understand. You, you know what I mean? We need it bad. Goddamn. But um, if we control the content that we made, you know, we wouldn't need no social welfare program. If we controlled our music, if we were the agents, if we were the attorneys, if we were the owners of the record label, trust me, family, there would be no unemployment in the African community. You know, I'm not on the mother. I'm not in the motherland at the moment. I'll be sent, be there soon, but not at the moment. So I can't speak for the, for, for my brothers over there, but I can tell you in the West, if we controlled our content, if we were the coaches, the owners of the teams, you know, even if we had to play in a small stadium, I'm pretty sure that the folks would come see us before they go see them. There wouldn't be, you know, the kind of drug abuse and the kind of distress on the families. It wouldn't be that. It wouldn't be that. You know, I really think it would make America a much better place. You know, it's got to be uncomfortable sometimes sitting on a a throne of bayonets. I mean, you got to be real careful. This is Jonathan Soul, JonathanSoul.com. Go over and check out the site where you hear real conversations with your brothers and sisters who are artists and entrepreneurs. And we talk about life and business. Free your fiction and your nonfiction will follow.